Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. In the studio this morning on this very, very cold, wintry morning, we have uh, James Beatty and also uh, Karen Sutherland. Good morning to the two of you. Morning. Morning, Pam. How are you? And we really are having a proper winter, finally. <laughs> very cold, very cold this morning. I was driving down St George's Road and all the all of the middle strip was just white, white and icy on the way in. Oh, wow. and, and I got halfway here and realised I still had my UGG boots on. And then I <laughs> take them off and went, ooh, not, not an appropriate footwear. Really, perhaps, yeah. We can't see you, James. <laughs> oh, well. Didn't have to confess. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I, I hopped in my car, started started up the engine, mm-hmm. minus three in Eltham, mm. and the, bird, the water in the bird bath was completely frozen mm. over. Now, I haven't seen oh. that since years. It doesn't always years. happen every year. Mm. No, I mean, it, it doesn't. Happens anymore, well, really. we had a very mild winter last year, mm. but um, it's going to be great for fruit trees. Yes. It's frost. Mm. All yes, those yes, plants that trees, really yeah. needed mm. a yeah, decent yeah. frost. Mm. I was just looking sideways because I was remembering that two years ago we had a really cold winter because I went away on holidays and came back and had I been there I might have noticed and thought well, we must do something about that and I'd been putting running out of space and putting a lot of sweet potatoes in uh, I'd propagated heaps so I had enough to really get a substantial crop mm-hmm. and like you know by growing the tubers then getting the tip cuttings in spring then propagating them on and mm-hmm. etc and the whole lot besides one bar one plant on the nature strip died that from the cold winter that mm. year with the frost so, yeah. yeah so there's probably going to be some other things actually I saw a, a post by Chris Williams on Instagram and he was showing tarot crops severely um, you know burnt off the yeah, leaves right. really yes. burnt off by the frost so mm. yes. all the people growing all of us who like to grow a few I, I don't grow as many as him but I grow quite a few subtropicals so yes it's um, probably time to from judging from the experience two years ago, it's time to protect your sweet potatoes, everybody, if you've yeah, got them right. in the Well, ground. if it's not too late. <coughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And people were saying to me, oh, yes, it's, they were really shocked, but I realised that the people talking to me were too young to remember that cold weather, mm. that, that, you know, we didn't always used to be able to grow subtropical plants exactly, in Melbourne. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. They'd never experienced it. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> but the other the other thing, of course, is too, I mean, this isn't going to be the only frost we're going to get this winter. No, no so, exactly. So yeah. um, you mm. do need uh, to be aware mm. and protect plants. Protect mm. plants, but certainly if something has been severely um, hit by the frost, don't cut back mm. because oh, we'll, really get another, we'll get another people. frost and you'll hit your new young growth exactly. coming up from mm. underneath. So no matter how daggy it looks, just leave it there leave until it. all dangers of frost are over before you go out and tidy up and cut back. Very sound advice. Tamar- yes. Tamarillo. <laughs> tamarillos, actually, I've lost tamarillos. I, don't, I didn't have one at the moment this year, but, um, yeah, I've lost tamarillos on a night like 
tonight, like last mm-hmm. night. Yes. Just one night, that's all it takes. I know, that's all tree. it takes. Exactly. Mm. I built a little greenhouse earlier on this year out of old French doors. Oh, I think um, I was on when, once when you were talking about that. Oh, uh, right. You, yeah, mm. right. Mm. And, and this is the first kind of frosty weather that it's faced and so far mm. so good. It's working really well. Excellent. The frost tender plants that I have in it unaffected yep. yesterday oh, and will be the fantastic. same this morning. So very happy with that. Oh, yes. Because we great. don't, I mean, where we are in the suburbs, we don't often get frost in our backyard. We will, we will get it on like the railway easement and thing when you're walking to work to get the train in the morning you'll you'll notice that there's you know quite a bit of frost there but the little pocket that we're in it has to get really proper cold before we'll get frost in our backyard mm. and we we definitely got it yesterday morning i didn't i didn't go out and have a look this morning but i'm sure it would have been there as oh, well oh would have been there mm. um but yeah but that's the yeah, odd thing my, my back garden's really <laughs> sheltered too and yet i've lost a couple of tamarillos like that night, nights that i would have thought Oh, they were really cold, mm. but I would have thought that my garden was significantly sh- sheltered, sure. significantly enough sheltered mm. to protect those plants, and yet they, they, they died. They turned up their toes. And that was the only mm. one, though. It was interesting. Mm. The pepinos were still okay. They, was it actual frost mm. that killed them or just the cold? Just no, the... it was – well, I mean, you know, I kind of wasn't out there talking to them saying, you know, have, have, have you had frost? But <laughs> I've, ne- I've never seen frost in my back garden. Yeah, either. okay, there you go. And, yeah. and whereas up on the – garage roof well yeah that probably was frost up there mm. so that's a bit different mm. and it was so cold i think the issue with the sweet potatoes was they got cold and then the plants died off and then it was wet i think it was also one of that was also a rainy winter from memory and i think everything just rotted mm. so yes. it was more to do with rotting so if if people who have those crops um, can nab them and move them somewhere, mm. put them on, you know, put them in a sheltered spot under straw because the tops have died off anyway. Mm. Take off the tops. That's then, right. Then the plants themselves might not rot. On, on the waterfront, I mean, I'm, I've, it's been incredibly dry this winter so far. Well, it has I've, been. I never usually water my vegetable oh, garden yes. in the winter time, but dry. I've been having mm. to water, you know, mm. two or three times and a pots, week. Outdoor yeah. pots and things. Yeah. I turned off. I turned off my whole irrigation system it's to try and save some water. Extremely dry. Yeah. And think, I come home and all my pots are wilting. <coughs> it's crazy. Mm. Even mm. ones that are sitting out. In the open, mm. so it's really annoying. Well, I'd, I'd done a little bit of planting, um, you know, during autumn because we keep saying autumn's a great time yes, for planting. Yeah, yeah, you know, the definitely. soil's still warm, etc., yeah, etc. Yeah, et yeah. And I've been having to really keep up the water to them just to help them get just established. Just established, really. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's yeah, that's a real sign mm. how, of how dry it's been. Oh, it's been shocking. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, <laughs> it's a few all warnings that... for everybody out there. Mm. Yeah, 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 Look yeah. in their garden. <laughs> but I mean, this is why gardening is is never dull because no, really there's not. always a challenge around the corner. <laughs> you least expected. It. It's, it's amazing. It's Surprise true. gardeners aren't more stressed because you have to be vigilant all the time. You know? like, oh, God, this it hasn't rained stressed. and it's going to be frost tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but we're more of a relaxed bunch, which is kind of counterintuitive in a way. Uh, I think because once we get out there, we immerse ourselves That's in right. it and yeah. forget about everything else. Actually, that was one definition I was reading once somewhere. It was someone's thing that they'd written about the difference between someone who was uh, uh, someone that grew food in the city for themselves and comparing themselves to a farmer mm. and they were saying the difference is uh, and part of that would be the stress but the difference was that in the city you could you could just think oh well I'm not going out there when it's rainy or it's horrible or it's cold I, I'll just bad luck I won't plant those things and I'll just mm. won't harvest those things then whereas farmers have to have to go out there that's they, right they have to tend to things mm. and and they probably have the um, subsequent stress or or have to learn how to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Whereas we do have the option of 
choosing whether to. Making That's very a, true. Toyota making a cup of tea and putting your feet up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Watching the weather roll in. Putting your rug bits on. <laughs> Opening a seed catalogue. <laughs> reading that. Wishful thinking. Yeah. I must, uh, before we go any further, I really must uh, thank all our listeners for um, the amazing support we had during Radiothon last Sunday. Um, we, uh, a whole team of us, were on air for two and a half hours and our listeners uh, remain so loyal to supporting this program and to 3CR in general. A huge thank you to everybody who contributed. Um, I hope many of you have managed to pick up some wonderful product um, as part of the process. Uh, but... Uh, all up, uh, we, we've done really well again. I don't Fantastic. have a final tally I was because, about um, that. Yeah. yeah, it'll mm. take a couple of weeks for, um, administration to sort that out, but I will, um, once I know that final tally, I will certainly tell, uh, tell everybody about that and feed that back to them. But I really do enormously thank everyone for, uh, <laughs> their very generous support again this year. And in saying that, um, as uh, most listeners know, we try and acknowledge everyone that uh, did uh, give a donation during the Radiothon, but um, a couple of those uh, people, those um, pledges came through after we actually came off air, so um, I do want to take the time to quickly acknowledge those people. Uh, first up, uh, Tomo down in Mordialic, uh, a donation of $30. Thank you very much, Tomo. Uh, to Marion. Uh, and Marion, I think you're coming in to collect some of that product this morning, so we'll catch up with you. But a donation of $100 there, thank you incredibly. Very generous. And mm-hmm. also uh, Miriam in Croydon, a donation of $125. Thank you ever so much, and Miriam's managed to pick up a few uh, vouchers and packs as well. So a big thank you to those other three people who we didn't have the chance to acknowledge last Sunday. Now, uh, I should get to our community announcements. We do, surprisingly, no matter how cold the weather is, there are a few things <laughs> taking place. Um, you know, life doesn't stop just because we're a bit cold. First up, of course, um, Villa Alba have got their open day this afternoon. Now, you never know. The sun might come out and be absolutely wonderful this afternoon. It's beautiful. It is, it is, it is meant to be sunny yesterday. again today, so, yeah, so I reckon it'll be a good day. day. If you haven't ever been out to Villa Alba, they are open uh, this afternoon, 1 o'clock through till 4 o'clock. Um, Villa Alba, of course, is the historic house and the R.J. Hamer Heritage Garden. Now, uh, admission is $10, concession $8, children are free. There is an afternoon tea available with a $3 donation. And uh, the address of Villa Alba is 44 Walmer Street in Kew. Melway's reference there is 44H6. Now, uh, also, this week, of course, is uh, NADOC Week. And uh, in conjunction with NADOC Week, um, we have a few events taking place. First up, uh, down at uh, Cranburn Botanic Gardens. Uh, they are having some uh, very special happenings next Wednesday, the 5th of July, to celebrate. Uh, now, uh, the day is going to start with a welcome to country and smoking ceremony at 10 a.m. Uh, at 11 till 11.30, there'll be traditional storytelling uh, with Uncle Ron Murray. 11.30 till 12, there'll be traditional dance. 12 till 12.30... Who's Animal Australia? This is a bilingual book launch uh, with author Jeanette Rowe and a reading 
um, in the uh, Boon Wurrung language by Boon Wurrung elder, Auntie Faye Stuart Muir. Um, from 11.30 uh, onwards, there'll be a free barbecue. 12.30 to 1.30, Indigenous Hip Hop Dance Projects, which will be amazing. Wow. That'll be a dance workshop taking place. And uh, running from 11am till 2pm, there'll be all sorts of amazing activities for children. There'll, there'll be clay echidnas, decorating knowledge sticks, creating kookaburra grubs. There'll be platypus woven grass nests workshop, uh, water bugs, hard animal stencils, who is my mob, a kinship tree, potting up a native plant, yarning tent, free tea and coffee, um, traditional games, bark canoes. City of Casey, 360 bus, and what words did you learn today? So amazing happening there. And finally, the day will end with, uh, at 1 o'clock to 1.45, a bush walk looking for scats, tracks, and habitats. So, That's always fun. Oh, mm. look, it would be it would be a real eye-opener for, to take <laughs> along children to that mm. day. They would just mm. like, learn so much mm. um, and joining in some of those culturally uh, significant activities. I think mm. that's like an amazing day. Yes, a lot of planning has gone into that. So mm. um, good luck to all those uh, people down at um, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens who put that program together. Now the other uh, NADOC-related uh, event is happening next Friday. So if you want to get a a full feast of it, you could actually go to both um, events. But this is happening on, on Friday the 7th of July, which is next Friday, of course. And this is a guided walking tour. This is being run by Friends of the Melton Botanic Gardens. And, of course, it's mm. taking place out at Melton Botanic Gardens. Thanks for Gardens. the reminder. Mm. Yep. <laughs> okay. I forgot Ten... to go last time they had a tour. Oh, had a walk, right, so... yeah. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Pam. Okay, 10 a.m. through till noon with morning tea. You meet at the depot and plant nursery, which is at 21 William Street in Mel- Melton. Quite a good plant nursery. Uh, yes, they have got a great mm. plant nursery. And, of course, proceeds from the plant nursery go back into the gardens mm. too. But it'll be a, a guided walk through the Melton Botanic Gardens to see local indigenous plants from the Melton region and uh, the Aboriginal use plants, including bush tucker plants. Now, the gentle t- walk will take about one and a half hours, followed by morning tea. Highlights are the natural features and remnant vegetation, Ryan's Creek and the Lake Indigenous Plantings, Koori Student Garden, Indigenous People's Garden, Victorian Volcanic Plains Garden and the New Bush Foods Garden. So, uh, as I say, next Friday, 10 through till noon. Now, you do need to book to assist with the catering with the morning tea. You can book uh, with John Bentley and uh, book by uh, phoning... His number is 9743-3819. Leave a message if it's unattended, so 9743-3819. Or you can email friends at fmbg.org.au. That's friends at fmbg.org.au. So two wonderful event days uh, for NADOC Week. Now, uh, also <clears throat> as part of NADOC Week again... Uh, out in uh, in Kyneton, Indigenous author Bruce, Bruce Pascoe. Uh, I can't get my tongue around this morning. Bruce <laughs> Pascoe, of course. It's the cold. Yeah, it is the cold. I'll blame that. Um, he's going to be uh, in conversation in uh, Kyneton Macedon Rangers Shire Council in partnership with the Macedon Rangers Reconciliation Group is hosting an opportunity to hear the award-winning writer 
in conversation at the Kyneton Mechanics Institute on Saturday, July the 8th, so that's next Saturday, from 7.30pm. Now, of course, uh, Bruce Pascoe will be discussing his latest work, Dark Emu, which uh, presents uh, a radically different view of Australia's first people as hunter-gatherers through extracts of early explorers' journals and records. Bruce, of course, asserts that Aboriginal people were engineering sophisticated dwellings and irrigation systems, along with domesticated plants, sowing, harvesting and storing. Now, the cost for the evening is $15.00. Bookings are essential. Now, to book, you can visit um, mrsc.vic.gov.au forward slash NADOC in capital letters, or you can email Jenny, and uh, Jenny is, uh, the address is at uh, mrreconciliation, all one word, so that's mrreconciliation at gmail.com. Or you can phone Emily, and her number is five four double two zero triple three. So Emily, five four double two zero triple three, and that's to book for uh, Bruce Pac- Pasco uh, speaking next Saturday the eighth. Um, 7.30 p.m. at the Kyneton Mechanics Institute. I've seen him speak a couple of times and Have he's well you? worth going along he's to, to see. He's an amazing speaker. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well, well worthwhile. It's and a real of course, storyteller. The book's and... incredible. So, oh, um, amazing. Yes. But, you know, some people... You go and see who are, who have written a great book. You go and see them, and they just don't. They, and they're like, a bit they can't, yeah. Yes, they he can't is, hold your attention. Like James says, he's a brilliant speaker. He's yeah. excellent, really fantastic. Good. Okay, uh, we'd love to open up the talkback lines for our listeners. If you'd like to ring in and ask a gardening question this morning, or have a chat about something, do give us a call. We have uh, Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design, <laughs> James Beatty, who's a horticulturist. Do give us a, a call. That number is nine. Four one nine zero one double five nine four one nine zero one double five. Now, James, I think you've been working in a garden down in the Otways recently. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I was house sitting for some friends down there um, and doing a bit of uh, doing a bit of work about their garden for them. Um, it's an interesting interesting area. High rainfall, but um, very very sandy soil. Um, and really, I didn't know it was sandy. Yeah, well, in the, in the, in the spot the spot that they are, it's quite sandy. Really? But um, mm. if you go if you go kind of down the hill towards the the river, the Carlisle River near where they are, um, it gets a bit more alluvial. But um, mm. yeah, very very sandy. Um, so. Handy for drainage. Yeah, well, well yeah, that, 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 that we've got the mm. opposite problem. A little bit too much drainage, you know. Right. Um, mm. But but. Uh, they they grow the most incredible citrus down there. Um, mm. okay. You know they they go really really well. Right. Um, we were taking kilos of limes home with us to make oh. to make jam and things like that. Yeah, Fantastic. just prolific, absolutely prolific. Um, but it's a, it's one of my favourite areas to visit in Victoria because it's the the natural vegetation around there. It's all heathland and the orchid diversity and stuff that you get down there. It's almost like Anglesey. It reminds yes. me of that kind of ecotype. You know. Yes. Um, but uh, my dad came down from Brisbane to go down there and house set with me, and he's a he's a Scottish man who's afraid mm. of the cold. Um, so he was not. <laughs> I thought he would be a bit angry or you know, upset at me that we were taking him to some back of Burke place to, you know, just keep loading wood in the fire all day if you want to keep warm. <laughs> but he really enjoyed it as well. Oh, good. But, um, 
Yeah, it's a it's a great spot. Really, really beautiful. So, what's their garden like? Is it is it native or? Look, it's mostly productive. Okay. Um, so they've they've approached their garden. Um, they live down there full time now, so they 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 definitely grow as much as they can to eat um, themselves. And their ornamental gardening basically consists of trying to encourage the bush back onto their block in bits and pieces, mm-hmm. you know, whatever pops up um, or if something pops up in an area where they don't want it, they'll dig it up and move it. Um, so so their their ornamental garden is is almost purely indigenous. Right. Um, and coming from a coming from like a, a bush ecology background, I, I love that approach to gardening. Yes. I, you know, I wish more people would look a bit closer at their local bit of bushland because there are lots mm. of treasures in there, you know. Absolutely. Um, and it's so sustainable. It is absolutely. Mm. And, and I think I think as gardeners we can often ooh and ah over over rare plants that we grow. Um, but a lot of a lot of local natives, um, you know, they can be they can be just as deserving of the title. Absolutely. Um, mm. You know, so if you want to grow something a bit rare, look a bit closer to home, I yes. reckon, a lot of the time. Yeah, especially so. orchids. And if you've got, like, like you're saying, your friends are paying attention to what's happy by the, by, by the, yeah, the plants that are happy by themselves in their garden, mm. so they possibly have some little wildflowers or people could, I don't know, or, you, or if you've got a really nice ecology, I imagine you could perhaps then introduce some orchids if, you, if you're able to buy some. Yeah. I, know, I know some friends of mine are really good orchid growers and and it's probably as in the tiny little grand orchids whereas people hardly ever grow those Mm. do they really? I I planted um, Mm. I planted a species of greenhood in my nature strip last year um, that I kind of just got got on spec Um, someone else was buying them in front of me at the La Trobe nursery um, and I said oh have you got orchids for sale? You hardly ever see them Yeah, Mm. and he said well look we keep them out the back because we only really give them to people who ask about them. Serious gardeners yeah Um, but what a I, good policy. But I had established quite a few native grasses for about a year on my nature strip, and I thought, I reckon, I reckon, you know, the the fungal diversity might be mm, such that mm. now I can have a crack at, you know, mm. putting a couple of local orchids in. And greenhoods are probably amongst the easiest that you can grow yes, yourself. But I, I got four of them and put them in just to test and see how they went, and they've mm. come back this year, and oh, they're wonderful. looking really, really good. Lovely. So, Excellent. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping, I think they flower before we uh, go away. Actually, otherwise, I'll miss them. I'll miss their first, you know, first full year flowering in the. I in think the... many people would have greenhood orchids on their nature strip. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty unusual. <laughs> But um, yeah, look, they're they're really easy to grow. But um, I I would love to get more. So you know, mm, I'd love to have mm. a talk to you, see where your friends get theirs from, and uh, uh, just I, I will what, definitely um, mm. ask them, or mm. you know, put you in touch with them or mm. something. Yes, they're they're kind of keen home gardeners. So, um, they're also I'm not sure exactly how, but they're friends with Beth Gott from a long time ago. So sometimes they get a rare, unusual plant. They'll say, "Oh, Beth gave us that," right. or um, you know, some such thing. But they do have a lot of other friends. I think that are native plant growers. Mm, so, mm. um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I, I met them because I went to prune their apricot tree years ago. Yeah, okay. And so <laughs> then, they've, then they've become friends. Yeah. And uh, actually, I'll have to tell a, str- a strange story that they're, um, they, they have, would you believe, speaking of wild things, mm-hmm. a cockatoo that just decided to live with them. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. So there the cockatoo, which, who they call Cracker, who they thought... <laughs> <laughs> who they thought was cracking those seeds? Yeah, yeah, thought was a male, and it sort of just fits in with these people that have this amazing native. And it's, well, they've got some chooks and it's, um, you know they've also got veggie patch and a, and a few fruit, fruit, fruit yep. trees. But the rest of their garden is all really beautifully integrated native garden. Mm. And he's a landscape photographer, so it kind of fits right with right. their lifestyle. But mm-hmm. 
would you believe that they were joining a kindergarten? And so this cockatoo's been living there for years. So it just, just turned up and hung around and just, never left. So, so yeah, look, right. they don't know that it could be someone's wild, uh, someone's cockatoo that's escaped. Yeah, gone sure. Wild. Yeah. yeah, and um, but that, that it just decided that this was a nice place to live because mm. they've got some nice big trees in their garden, mm-hmm. and the cockatoos moved in, and they can't they they had to adapt their a lot of things in their life, like they can't use clothes pegs anymore because <laughs> the cockatoo um, pulls them apart, <laughs> disem- chews them up, dissembles them, so they just have to sort of drape their clothes over the line. <laughs> uh, the cockatoo is very fond of the uh, of David. Not you know a little bit more. You know, David's her favourite, and mm. she's not as keen on Jane. Right. And she doesn't like. And so she'll sit on David's shoulder. The mm-hmm. Cockatoo. They thought right. it was a male until she laid an egg one year. She was really apparently she was. That's really pretty definitive, of, really. Yeah, really it? anxious yeah. one year, and it must have been the cockatoo hormones, and all of a sudden she laid an egg. And um, but would you believe the council has responded to anxious. Kindergarten parents. So there's a Canary Island date oh. palm adjoining their property, or next door to them. Right. Cracker sits up there and nests up there. The, the, some of the parents, I'm sure not all of them, some of the parents are convinced that the fronds are falling down because it's all the cockatoos' fault. Oh, oh So no. they're threatening, I don't, and I, I don't know, honestly, I don't know how they would actually carry this out, the council, but they're threatening to relocate the cockatoo unless they do something. So, um, Jane and David have suggested, because I've been trying to find, Someone to put install a nesting box for them. I've asked a friend of mine, but he's um, he doesn't know whether he'll be able to do it for them. But they're um, they need a nesting box in a tree in their garden to, and then the council's going to cover the canary date palm in wire or something. I don't know how how this is going to work. Goodness, isn't me. this bureaucracy oh, gone mad? Yeah, yes, that's crazy. It is a beautiful bird. Wouldn't you think they'd be excited to mm, see this mm. lovely bird? I'm sure some kids are, but yeah, you know, obviously some people have. Given how many how many birds are, are, are roaming free in <clears throat> in all our Gardens. I mean, it's part of our environment. It's insane. How can you pick on one poor bird? Yeah, poor bird. <laughs> With a big personality. Yes. <laughs> but I don't think cockatoos, I know they have sharp beaks, but I've never heard of them cutting, uh, doing pruning on a Canary Island date palm no. to get the old fronds off. No, no, no. No. It's ludicrous. Good heavens. So, yeah, people anyway. have some funny ideas. They do, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. they? So people versus nature, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's what it is. A lot really. of people are yeah. kind of geared that way, and aren't people they? People forget yeah. that they're living in nature and they're a part yeah, of right. nature. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. We must go to our first caller. Uh, so first up we have Mem, who's in Carnegie. Good morning, Mem. Good morning. Um, I Some weeks ago, in relation to planting or transplanting from a pot, a rose, a large rose. Um, I was recommended because my soil is sandy. Mm-hmm. Recommended to get um, clay. Ha mm-hmm. um, ha! I was offered modelling clay. A lot of modelling clay. Now I don't know what a lot means, but um, would that work? I'm not hmm. sure. My the picture I have in my head of modelling clay is that it's it's wet clay that. You know, comes wrapped in plastic and that kind of thing, and I'd imagine that would be incredibly difficult to dig into your soil. Very sticky and yeah, meant to hold together. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't dissipate. Well, not particularly. I think you would have a hard time trying to get it, it into a slurry form or something. Hard. Incredibly hard as yeah. well. So, mm. um, if you were going to add clay to your soil, you'd go for something like bentonite clay, which mm. which comes in much more of like a powder form, which would be easier to dig into your soil. It's really hard to find. But it's but it's hard to track down. I'm not I'm not sure. I can't tell you where to buy it. Um, I only know that it's useful in sandy soils, but I've mm. never used it, so I've never bought it. Um, yeah. Right. But have, having a ring around a couple of nurseries, maybe, landscape supply places. Yes, landscape supply um, places may have... It's it's used a lot for um, 
for uh, waterproofing the base of dams and things as well. So, um, you know, talking to people who might do that for a living as well, trying to source some. Um, uh, but who? It's, who? So, so people who would install dams and things on country properties because it's used... Where do I do that? <laughs> yeah, where do so I not, get there? What are they called? I'm not sure. I'm it might not be sure. easier to get to, in, to add compost, Mem. Mm, definitely. Well, that, I was about to add mm. that. Yes, mm. I mean the more mm. the more um, compost you can you mm. can dig into that sandy soil, sure. that will still improve um, the water holding capacity of it. It eats it in about three minutes. Yes, right. I can imagine. Mm. There's a lot of leaves around at the moment. You can, yes, you'd make plenty a, you of leaf make a litter. Stack of compost. And yeah, that. do that. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone's listening and knows a good reliable place to find bentonite, it would be great because yeah, I calling. and many other people, like James, have mm. tried over the years to find it because it is recommended. Mm. And then you go to find it and people say, oh, we've never heard of that. Mm. So it's not commonly available, mm. which is really frustrating because it is a good remedy for sandy soil. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't work in it very often, but went years ago gardening in places with sandy soil, I used to find the same thing. You'd put this compost in, you'd dig it all in. And it'd be go gone. back two weeks later and you think, I'm oh, sure I put a <laughs> lot of compost in that, in that garden bed. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it would be good to know if someone knows, you know, oh, look, this particular supplier has it. So mm. a call out to ask, please tell us where to find bentonite. Mm. <laughs> yes, if any of our listeners do know. The only other thing I can think of is some of your, um, some of your, your more um, major... Agricultural um, or... Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking also um, some of the bigger projects um, uh, of restoring sort of habitat and wetlands oh. areas and um, people that, that, you know, mm. uh, garden designers, um, you know, architects who are yep. involved with that yep. might um, know because I'm sure at times they would have to be using that too. I mean, mm. even... even um, Someone like uh, Friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, or yeah, absolutely, um, because they've had to deal with with sandy issues mm. and um, right, down yeah. with their soil. Mm. Um, Maybe John Arnott might know. John Arnott, or day. someone <laughs> might know. Yes, mm. Um, mm. or or even even ask someone uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens, because mm. again. Um, a lot of the people mm. associated with that are working in different um, mm. different areas, so um, mm. they may know. But it is annoying it's, that you can't find it because it does yeah. sound like it would be really but good. But certainly, <laughs> if any of our listeners do know, Mem, um, we'd love them to, to ring in and, and let us know. So. Thank you. Yeah. But give the, give the modelling clay a miss, I reckon. Yes, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, then. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Roses do like clay, don't they? Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is that there's so much nutrient Nutri- in clay yeah, soil. Yeah. It's just mm. you've got to open it up enough for them mm. to, to actually yeah, be able to utilise it. What's the old saying? Um, clay breaks your back, but uh, sand breaks your heart. <laughs> It's an old, like uh, I've never heard one. that before. Someone told me that years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. When you're digging away in your clay soil trying to eat. But, but it's so good. I, I very rarely fertilise my most of my fruit trees. It's only yeah. the citrus that I have to, and avocado, yeah, okay. and a few things like that I have to pay attention to. And I just put it down to, I mean, it's got, you know, good soil, mm. ecology, kind mm. of, all that sort of thing. But I really don't put much in for what it, I get it, out. It counts for it a lot. The clay. Actually, I reckon, yeah. Mm. I don't I don't really fertilise my garden either. I compost and I mulch all the time. Yeah, compost, mulch, all that sort of things. And I will only ever fertilise if I recognise that there's a deficiency in something. Mm, and mm. in five years of gardening at the house that I'm living in now, um, I've never had a nutrient deficiency. I think so. clay is amazing stuff, mm. really. Yes. I think, I think we over-fertilise a lot as gardeners. I'm sure mm. we do. I reckon we do. Mm. Yes. And, and that's, got, that's got a wider environmental that, impact as well. I'm a bit, well. Um, 
Oops. Well, Stephen's always or, saying exactly mm. the same thing I too. Do, I don't do much fertilising. Yeah, mm. yeah well, Stephen doesn't fertilise mm. either. Mm. All he mm. does is, as I say, dig in heaps and heaps of compost yeah. mm. and mm. using a variety. Don't just feed the plants the mm. same thing mm. each year. Mm. Um, you know, but you, you then don't need to fertilise. I'm sure people... You don't people, seem to because I'm sure people use too much. I don't think you do. Yeah. Yeah. If, mm. you, if you're composting and, you know, manuring and things pretty regularly, which mm. I don't, mm. just don't think you need fertiliser, to be exactly. honest. And totally the, the wider environmental impact of that as well is that, you know, if you're going to... You're going to live in an area with high rainfall and you're going to, you're going to be throwing a lot of fertilizer around all the time, then that's going to find its way into local waterways. Of course it um, is. So really, really reining in the fertilizer use would, I reckon that'd be a good campaign for NGIV to run or something like that. Absolutely. It's just, I, th- I mm. think a lot of people throw it around with gay abandon. Mm. Yep. But, um, mm. a lot of the time it's just not necessary. Exactly. Mm. Well, yep. I've got into a, um, um, protocol of once every year. So about this time of year mm-hmm. when it's a little bit quieter in the garden. I'll throw a bit of my own wood ash, and that's kind of in the. I, I know Penny Condor says, "I oh, know you only, you know, your ash, your um, pot ash should only be made from certain types of twigs with bark, in you know all that sort of thing." But I think, oh well, bad luck. I've got this wood ash in my fire; it's <laughs> it's coming out. But he also did say in the current organic gardener issue that charcoal made in a wood box is biochar. Does does uh, rate as biochar because mm-hmm. it's um, produced with very low levels of oxygen because right. of course you close down all the oxygen when you get your fire going. Mm-hmm. And it's not my entire source of heating. It's probably only 30% of my heating, but I do still create charcoal. So not only have I started putting it in with yam daisies and things like that oh. to experiment with seeing whether that's going to help, yep. but I'm, I put, actually I don't usually put the charcoal around the garden, so I had quite a stack of it over the years, so I started using it with yam daisies. Mm-hmm. But I throw ash around, not too much, what no. did I say? A, only about a light handful. A very, per, uh, just a light sprinkle. Yeah, because very light it, sprinkle. it will. If you put too, too much too on, it turns into concrete. Oh yeah, that's that too. Yeah, oh no, mm. mine's very uh, just much much less than yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, so yeah, for people who have a lot of open fires, like my parents, they they can they sometimes do have that. I'll see my dad throwing way too much in an area, and I'll say, Dad, you can't put that much on. <laughs> so um, and a sprinkle of uh, like slow release pelletized manures because they're just such a nicer way of. Mm. You know, giving that very gentle, when I say don't fertilise, I'd use that much as well, just mm. a little bit each year, mm. and maybe a bit of compost and some gypsum, just a little bit to help um, break up the clay each year. Yep. But also because I often use grey water on my garden, that's the best I can find as a buffer for the potential salts that mm-hmm. might be coming from even the liquid detergent. Because they, they say even with a low salt liquid detergent, you still have some salts okay. apparently. Mm. Yes. So, mm. But, yeah, that's all I really do, mm. and it's pretty straightforward, except the citrus. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're hungry. Voracious. They are hungry, <laughs> yeah. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Um we have uh, James Beatty and Karen Sutherland in this morning in the studio. If you'd like to give us a call this morning, we'd love to hear from you. That number again is 94190155. That's 94190155. Okay. Um, Karen, you ran some workshops last uh, weekend, last Sunday. I did, and I even had someone using a 3CR Radiothon voucher from Fantastic. last year. Fantastic. <laughs> who I assured them it was no drama, that was perfectly fine. Uh, so I ran to one in the morning was um, wild foods in the city, so learning how to use native food plants in the city. Mm. And we had some just delicious little raw vegan cake things made with 
uh, made with powders that I'd grown and ground myself, so my own cinnamon myrtle and some native pepper leaf ground. So that was in a, the native cinnamon and a, uh, sorry, the native pepper leaf and a cinnamon was with a, with some chocolate. Mm. And that was really quite tasty. Mm. And then there was a cinnamon and cardamom, the woman who made them for me tried out, which that was really tasty as well. And also a strawberry gum with lime. So she's getting better and better at using these flavours because, of course, it's a bit like, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm a bit more nervous about using Asian herbs. <laughs> I'm way, way more used to and more au fait with using oregano and basil. You know, or you just throw those into your meal. You know yes. how much to use. Mm. But yes. I'm much less sure about how to use, you know, I've got shiso or perilla and I kind of use it in salads or throw it over the top of this or that. But yep. I don't know a lot of other uses for it. So, sure. I suppose I just haven't looked them up. but. You know, um, so the same with native herbs, it's just still learning and learning the mm. quantities and how to get the right flavour. And so we had a bit of fun with that. So we walked around the garden and we looked at all the plants, similar to the open garden, really, but okay. a lot more detail just about those plants. Yes. And in the afternoon, we looked at. Oh, so we did. T- I did also talk to them about Bruce Pascoe's book. So I like to bring in all those other elements about letting people be aware of good books that can help mm. you learn about mm. Indigenous agriculture mm. and and. Um, how are your yam daisies going at the moment? I, yeah. I don't have yam daisies but because I've got too much shade. Right. But I could put some on my nature strip, and I'm about to plant some, and I was telling them about this. Oh, did I tell them? I'm not sure. We talked about yam daisies. We talked about how we'd eaten some. Mm-hmm. So someone that works with me doing admin, Libby, she does a huge amount on work on working on the um, local food forest near to me, so right. the West Brunswick Community Garden and Dunstan Reserve Food Forest. Mm-hmm. And there's yam daisies scattered in there. Yeah, right. In... Kind of like a light woodland setting. Right, right. You, there's some eucalypts from the park there, but there's also other deciduous fruit trees. So there's little pockets of sun and they've got yam daisies there. And she mm. said, we we're having a bit of a bush food feast because I've been having those regularly with people working with me to try to encourage us all to really use the native plants. Mm. Like one one particular time, one of the guys, Ben, brought along a drink made with banksia flowers. Now, I know oh, we always wow. read this, what was but when like? do we try it? What was you it know? like? It was really interesting. Yeah, okay. It wasn't as sweet as you'd think, but it, I, I don't even know which species he used, and I wish I did. I'll have to try and find out from him because mm. he's just moved. We were having this to say goodbye to him because he was moving to Canberra. Mm-hmm. And that was really gelatinous in the bottom, which you just okay. wouldn't expect. Yeah, right. No. This right. stuff all sort of sunk to the bottom, but it was really nice when you stirred it up and got a bit in your glass and <laughs> drank that. Yeah, nice. And then when I, this project I've been working on at Yay, the, which I would suggest people go up to actually, speaking of NADOC Week, I tried to look up the actual event, but there's an event today um, about um, using the local Tongarong words to describe plants up there and also talking about weaving. And because, of course, the theme of this year's NADOC week is is language. Mm. Um, but I can't, I'm afraid, find the details on my... Um, even on the website of the of the Y Water Discovery Centre. Yeah, right. But if anyone is really interested, it's only about an hour or so out of the northern suburbs of Melbourne, and there's a garden that um, I've just been working on up there with lots of other people. Um, now I've almost lost track of what I was talking about. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> early in the morning, and I'm um, going on a. I went down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> Help me, Jameson. <laughs> Oops. I think it was going to tell oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's right. So. The, uh, yeah, so the yam daisies there, because of things we've learnt from reading Bruce Prasco's book mm. and realising when you, there's a, you know, there's some words in there, some lines from some of the early explorers about how the horses sunk to their fetlocks, which is their knees, yep. in 
uh, in the soft soil where, wow. of the Yamdazi areas until yeah, the sheep came through right. and compacted the soil Completely and then a lot of, yeah. a lot of um, erosion. There must, it must have been, I mean, I was thinking about the other day, there must have been an incredible amount of soil erosion mm. that went yes. on at that oh, time yes. and mm. left us with the rubbishy stuff that we deal with a lot now. Mm. And so because of that, we've been incorporating, before we put all the tubers in, the yam, the yamdazi, the bulbine lily and the chocolate lily because mm-hmm. they were all used. And I guess to some extent the geranium too, the one of the native geraniums we put in. And so we repaired the soil with compost mm-hmm. and we added gypsum, of course, to help break up the clay soil that's there and added some ash and some... And some ground-up charcoal. So mm. we'll see how they go. Yeah. <laughs> but the ones at the food forest in West Brunswick were in kind of nice soil in an open, partly sunny position, mm. partly, partly sunny, partly shady position. And Libby said, look, they're doing really well. Let's dig up a couple and see how they went, So dig, see how they taste. So we dug them up and we sliced them thickly and fried them in butter just for something different yeah, rather right, than okay. most of them. Yep. And that caramelised them too. Mm. And they were incredibly tasty. Yeah, yeah. delicious. Well, so, there you go. I've had a couple of experimental crops in them that I've grown over the years. Right, and yeah. And the best one I ever grew was in one of my best vegetable garden beds. That's what the, I'm really excited to say to the soil was, Just put them in your vegetable yeah, garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did that. Yep. And, that, and that, were they that, big tubers that they, were, they were quite large, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of them were, you know, about big, bigger than thumb size. So yes, yeah. certainly the biggest yeah. I've ever seen. We that, had that, that, well, the ones that, but she took some from the biggest plant. Right. So yeah. I think all the other ones in the area wouldn't have been as big. So mm. whereas all of yours were that mm. big, evidently. Mm. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, they went, went really well. And how did you cook yours? I just roasted them. Just yeah, roast, yeah, roast, roasted yeah, them up, wrapped is, them in foil and chucked them in the oven. Yeah, mm. which is yeah. supposed to be good. Delicious. Yeah. Really good. Fantastic. Well, we've got a couple of leads uh, on oh, uh, Ben tonight. Um, first up, we'll go to uh, Carol, who's out in Croydon. Good morning, Carol. Carol, are you there? Hello, Carol. Oh, we might put Carol on hold and see if we can get her back again. But uh, Roger has also rung in. Um, he said agriculture suppliers, uh, so he suggests E.E. E. Muir will probably have Ben tonight. And E.E. Uh, e. Muir are in Cranbourne, Monbulk, Werribee, uh, so maybe even other places. Uh, the phone number for their head office, which will uh, let you know exactly where uh, all their offices are, but the, the main phone number is 9931-2200. So that's 9931-2200, and that's E.E. E. Muir. So... Um, so there we go, agricultural suppliers. It's getting quick, otherwise they might sell out after this <laughs> You know, I think I once had been told that from Roger before, because as soon as I saw that, I thought, I think I've been told that. <laughs> Embarrassing. Well, so now, Roger has a but, much better memory than I do. <laughs> well, now we know. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, we did have another call about it too, but... Uh, Anyway, at least we've at least we've got uh, one lead on the bentonite. So the, the only terrific. issue I'd have to say with EMU is, is, yeah, because they are a really large supplier. I used to buy from them, being registered as a business. I knew them from when I used to go pick up things when I worked at the zoo as an mm-hmm. apprentice. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how how they'll go supplying really small amounts to yeah, your average okay. person. That could be yeah. a sticking point. Yeah. So. Um, unless someone knows a business or another or a garden or a landscaper that they could get to purchase it for them, that could be an issue. That's all. Mm. Okay. Quantity you have to. Buy well, if you ring them, they'll shop. You know. Well, they'll know who who they supply to. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, yes, right and, and and yes, yeah, so the nursery um, to order it in. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. And it would be great because people could start using it because it is a really good 
antidote mm. for sandy soils. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Soil. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. All right. So, um, getting back to your workshops, you then ran a, another yes. workshop in the <clears throat> afternoon. Yeah, the afternoon we had plants of the permaculture garden, very loftily named. <laughs> <laughs> so, what we were talking about were plants that could grow in uh, in an urban food forest. So, I was pointing out plants that. Uh, could fruit throughout the whole year or, you know, would fill in places in a calendar. For instance, this time of year, it's hard to find things that are fruiting besides mm. your citrus. But, you know, just having citrus is, can be a bit boring. So I was, I didn't actually point out tamarillo because my tamarillo trees have just not had success the last few years. But for instance, pepino, we're still, I'm still harvesting pepinos. Mm. And Incredibly they, tough little plants, really. really oh, they tough. are mm. very tough. Mm. In that food for, same food forest in West Brunswick, we, we planted some there, and they're very much in the open, and they have been damaged by frost in the past. But the ones in my garden, which is annoying compared to the tamarillo dying, mm. but the pepinos have been fine, mm. and they're still covered in fruit at the moment. Mm. And, of course, if people don't know what they are, they are they're something like a, a, little bit, a little bit of a melony taste. And the word pepino apparently means, I think, I'm not sure if it's small cucumber or cucumber. Someone out there who speaks Spanish is going to correct me probably. However, you can use them green instead of cucumber. Now, mm-hmm. I tried that and I think it's not a viable method personally. <laughs> I like to eat them sweet. Leave them to ripen. Um, and they're really quite um, versatile fruit. They, because they're not super sweet, you can use them either cut up into a savoury salad or like so, they pair well with tomatoes. Not that you probably have tomatoes at the moment, but you know if you're using them in summer, for instance, mm. or you can use them as a fruit salad or in a fruit salad, or just cut up. I mean, I do. A, I'll often take for work if I'm working out of home a little bit of fruit yogurt and a little bit of top, you know, cereally type of topping. Mm. And so that's the kind of thing I'd be having at the moment. Just How would they go as a fruit chutney? Oh, I think they go well as a chutney. They do, actually. I haven't tried them, but I believe I read that. Yes, yes. Mm. I think you'd probably try, you because they get quite mushy when they're ripe, I think you'd probably use them semi-ripe, I'd yes, say. Yes, I, would think, I was yeah. thinking that. Right. And a similar plant is babago or babico, yep. the highland pawpaw. So we, we talked about that plant as well. So both of those are highly suitable for backyard agriculture or permaculture. Um, babago because they grow in thin, narrow, thin little spaces mm. and they grow up quite tall. Easy quite to squeeze quickly. in if you've got yeah, a small exactly. space. Yeah, And they don't and seem to quite mind. Beautiful plants as well. Aren't they? Yeah, they're really lovely. Like purple, yeah. They look really lush. They look very tropical. Mm. They make you feel like you're living yeah. in the tropics. Yeah. <laughs> but you can you can eat those green. In I have I have used those green because sometimes they will fall or break in the wind, and so you think, oh well. You know, I don't want to waste this, and mm. they will occasionally ripen on a windowsill if they've got to that stage where they'll continue on ripening. Mm-hmm. But at times, they just look—you look at them and you think, no, they're not going to ripen. Mm. So you can cut them up and use them in a curry, and I've done that before. Yes, mm. uh, I haven't tried making chutney out of them, but they are fantastic when they're fully ripe. Yeah, uh, they ripen in summer, and you can use them to make smoothies or a, ju- a juice. So okay, um, I've put them before with mint, and um, because they're very. They're very lemony and tart too, so I know Diggers calls them the champagne fruit, and or, and they're also called lemon sherbet plant lemon and things sherbets, like that yeah. because they're, yeah. they're lem- they really are lemony tasting, which is not what you expect when you see a fruit that looks like a pawpaw. Mm. Yes, exactly. So they're a bit of fun. What else do we put in? We threw a few. I threw a few um, native food plants into the mix to encourage people to grow. Maybe a strawberry gum or a, as an overstory or a shrub or a native thyme, which is Prostanthera rotundifolia, to mm-hmm. have that as a herb in a shady spot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what else did we talk about? Oh, we talked about perennials. One of my favourite things is perennial salad greens, things like red dock, lemon oh, sorrel. Oh, that red dock is a cracker. It's beautiful. Beautiful yeah. looking plant. Easy to grow. Looks looks great in a salad. Yeah, yeah it looks great. It doesn't really taste of much, but mm. it does look great. And mm. it's you know it's all that diversity. So I was pointing out to the, the class, look, you could walk through my garden and you could go and pick 20 different salad plants at any time of the year, just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And if you're then growing a few salad leaves, a few leafy mm. lettuce mm. leaves, mm. and then you can add all these things to it and yep. you've got a really gourmet salad. Mm. But the other point is that it's giving you all those nutrients You've got that diversity. All these different plants have different kinds of nutrients, yep. and and some so you're of not them... eating all of the same thing. No, and you might things. be putting a bit of nasturtium in or a bit mm. of wild rocket. I think Stephen actually yeah. grows that rumix for uh, just as an ornamental. I don't think he eats it. A lot it, of people, he, he yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah, he would he would like that actually. It's it's um, showy and pretty mm. enough for him. Yeah. Mm. So and you never yeah, used to see it around things. that much, but mm. it's it's appearing more it's and pretty, more in nurseries. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not often. Horticulturists get something really, really new. Mm. So, mm. Um, but I have to say, in the food area, there's been some amazing plants coming through in some of the food gardening in the oh, last few years. Mitsuba is another really good one that I grow too. Mitsuba, yeah. Mitsuba is okay. good for anyone who's got a shady but not too dry garden, so right. a, a moist shady garden, because it's a native of Japan, okay. Japanese woodland plant. Yeah, right. And it tastes just like parsley that you'd use in Japanese cooking, if that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> So you can chop it up. You wouldn't put it in a, in a Mediterranean dish. It would taste weird. Right, right. Well, I don't know. You could, but it just seems wrong. And is it, is it in the carrot family, in the Apiaceae? Like, uh, like I'd say so from the yeah. seeds. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. Sorry. No, 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 no. I no, don't think it's sorry. Be. No, okay. it wouldn't be. I'm just thinking about the seed structure. It's fine seed, but then I'm thinking, no, mm. it looks more like a little, you know, like a little grassy, plumy head. It's not a grass. Oh, okay, but, okay. Um, oh, I should know. It's Mitsuba. Crypt- I'm going to have to crypt- look it up. It might be, a, it's a crypto something, I think, so it could okay. be. Anyway, yeah, look it up. Um, it self-seeds really well, mm-hmm. and so you've always got it there. Chickens quite like it, so that's another thing you can, you know, give to chickens as greens because mm-hmm. they're hungry little devils that mm. always run out of things to mm. eat. Uh, when I when I was, you know, if I let mine out, they'd attack the edges of the veggie garden where the, where the mitsuba <laughs> grows. <laughs> uh, so it likes moisture, and, yeah, you can... It's it's something that it's good to show people to do. Just a simple way of using herbs to kind of bring lots more, um, you know, natural nutrients into mm. your everyday mm. everyday cooking is that if you're say you've just cooked some. I was pointing that out to them. Maybe you've just cooked cooked some eggs and toast, or you know, something really basic. Mm-hmm. But you can bring it up to a whole new level by just going out in your garden and taking and two or three herbs salad herbs, chop ch- ch- them up, ch- and just throw them over the top, yeah, or throw them over the. That's when the mitsuba is good. Is throwing <laughs> over the top of a of a simple broth or a soup. Mm, so it might mm. be quite plain and and nutritious and but not fancy. But then you go in and you add all these different things each day. And it's, over a long you know, time, you know, you've got a cumulative effect of, you know, lots of nutrients, exactly. lots oh, of vitamins, minerals. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. People just mm. need to do that. People need to garden and grow herbs instead of taking bloody vitamins, you know. It's, yeah, exactly. Look, it's, it's not just, that just, I don't take, you know, because I'd rather take herbs if I'm sick than yeah, vitamins than yeah, I yeah, would. Um, absolutely. Than I would, you know, go to the, you know, take, taking drugs unnecessarily if, mm. unless you really, really need them. But mm. it's a bit like, I guess that's why Isabel Shepherd wrote her books, books, um, you know, the everyday thing, how to use herbs. Mm. Um, now I've forgotten the title. How to use herbs in in my everyday life, or it was some, please someone correct me. But um, the whole point was that she was pointing out you should be using them every day. Mm. Well, we used to use them you. every day. That's the thing, and yeah, you know, most people used yeah. to grow them themselves. And yeah. we've stopped doing that quite recently in human history. And yes, and look at where it goes, where it's got us. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah exactly, exactly. And, and Chronic morbid disease, you know, on in in high levels. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot. I mean, I've been doing some reading lately about. 
um, a book that's talking about taking heavy metals out of your um, out of your system because, of course, we we have accumulated a lot of toxins in mm. our lives in the in this sort of society, industrial society we live yeah. in. And apparently, and I was thinking, gee, this is great that I've always had a lot of parsley, but I've I've gone back to eating more and more of it again because I don't think you can have enough too much parsley. But mm. uh, he- raw parsley is apparently quite good for ta- helping take heavy metals out of your body. Oh, is that so, right? Okay. According right. to this writer anyway. <clears throat> so coriander as well. So I've got to learn to grow more coriander because that's always a bit trickier. I've got a cracking crop of it in at the moment. There you go. Yeah, so yeah. chop a bit up raw and because <clears throat> you don't always feel like just eating it raw by itself because you mm. think, oh, that's a bit dull mm. or having lots of mm. salads in winter. But I think but in a scrambled to... egg with coriander and even a bit of chilli in there as well. <laughs> Fantastic, oh, yeah. Hello. That's a good start to the day. Mm. Exactly. And, of course, coriander grows so well if you plant it in autumn rather than in springtime. Yes, so yes. it doesn't bulk to seed <laughs> yeah. instantly. Yep. I sowed my crop about... Oh, would have been six weeks ago, yes. I reckon. Um, Ideal time. Been having mm. to water it a lot because, as we said before, it hasn't been raining very much. Mm. Um, but once it gets going, I just I kind of bunch up each of the little plants and cut the leaves off, um, but not right down to the growing point. And I'll get I'll get maybe eight or nine harvests off of each plant before mm. it'll start Fantastic. going to seed. Mm. Um, and as a as a winter as a winter herb in Melbourne. Mm, unrivaled, you know, only by parsley, I reckon, mm, but mm, just beautiful. Mm. And there's nothing like having it on hand. There you go, James. We've got a query. Is it too late to to plant it now? It's pretty cold. It does like a little bit of warmth to germinate, Mm. um, but... I wonder, could we, uh, could you try, I've never tried pre-sprouting coriander. Pre-sprouting I brought in some mm. odd-looking things to show mm. and tell, some pre-sprouted broad beans, which are also, you would think, a bit too late to plant out now. Mm. Oh, so look, you, you I would usually, I usually plant my broad bean crop a bit later. And, um, now? Yeah, oh, I would really? kind of, kind of this time of year. Mm. And they, they, oh, do you, do you get frost? Do you get frost? We don't really, no. Because no. Tasmanians who get frost, they plant their, because I've got a friend in Tasmania. They plant them later. They plant in spring mm. after all the frost. But they get, because they have really mild weather in summer, I mean, mm. they don't get the hot spikes that we get in October that knock the broad beans and snow peas and things out. Yep. So they'll get their crops of peas and broad beans and snow peas right up till Christmas. Yeah, right, okay. amazing mm. and lucky mm. for them. Mm. But, yeah, I've always found, I, I often plant, or all over the place, so that's why I like a bit of free sprouting to help myself. <laughs> sure. But, um, yeah, they if you plant if I've planted them late, I just tend to get um, smaller plants and less crops than other people. Mm. That's all. But free sprouting, pre sprouting coriander might be a way to kind of get way. it happening now. Yeah, mm. yeah, it'd be worth a try. Mm. Why mm. not? I mm. mean, mm. you find out these things by experimenting. That's mm. how you learn. That's right. Yeah, so I'd, I'd give it a go. I think mm. if you can pre sprout. Mm. Um, then, yeah, you may well get a crop. Should we explain pre-sprouting? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, please do. So pre-sprouting, you take a nice clear plastic container, so a little takeaway container or a little plastic lunchbox that's quite clear. So you're making a little mini greenhouse, like James's greenhouse, Mm. and you take some, well, I, I use just some kitchen paper toweling and wet it, and then according to the size of the seed, I either squeeze it out very lightly, if it's a larger seed, like a, broad bean or a pea, and maybe coriander would fit into that too because they're pretty large seeds. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a very fine seed, you have to squeeze it out very firmly and then lay it as a little bed in the bottom of the container, pop your seeds over the top, and then lay another wet layer over the top. And you can often multi-stack and put two or three layers into one container. Vertical farming. Vertical farming. Really. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> in a very small way. I like that. Yeah. And, um, and then pop the lid on and then put it on a nice sunny windowsill 
I think all kitchens should have a nice sunny windowsill <laughs> so you can do some of this. It's very handy. And then wait, watch and wait, and uh, just check it. And if it gets a bit dry, then you add a little bit of water. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with broad beans, of course, because the you know home harvested broad beans don't un- don't have fungicide that they've been they don't have they're not dipped in fungicide. Mm-hmm. So you may need to wash off a bit of the mold on the beans. And I found that doesn't really matter. I'll get it, if you just have to watch it. If you get a bit of mold, wash it off, put them back in. They're perfectly and fine. they're all right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's interesting because obviously. Those molds are there and would occur in the soil, but there's just something in the soil by the very nature of planting in it. Mm. It makes you realise that the soil is, you know, it has other microorganisms in it that, mm. are, that are dealing with those mm. issues. Because I don't think I've ever had a broad bean fail a seed that I popped in, and so that, yep. those okay. fungus, those fungal things are still there. But they're not antagonistic to the plant. Yeah. They don't seem to cause problems mm. in the soil, mm. but in in pre-sprouting situation on the windowsill between paper towel can be a they, problem. Yeah, the seeds mm. can rot off altogether mm. if you don't pay attention. Mm. But it's just in, interesting. That's all that they're still there. Those microorganisms. So, I mean, these ones are completely. You know, they I don't know what they look like. Some sort of science experiment at the moment. <laughs> they look great. Yeah, they're really funny. But I, I plant them out when they're like this even. I mean, yep. this is a little bit too far gone. So my just to describe my green shoots, some of them are 50 mil long. And the, that's the, the um, leaf shoot. I wouldn't suggest you do this with the coriander. I'd probably um, plant them out a little bit earlier. Yeah, once definitely. They've, once they've sprouted. So once they look like sprouts, that you're, even smaller than the sprouts you'd buy in a health food shop. Mm-hmm. So I pop them in the ground and they, they do grow on really well. But mm-hmm. I've experimented, like we're talking about, do all sorts of things and see if they work, mm. with running beans, with, sorry, climbing beans or bush beans and broad beans. And I've planted them when you think, gee, they shouldn't really... So that like transplanting, mm, and mm. yet it doesn't seem to matter when you pre-sprout them and put them in quite large, much larger than you'd expect. So that's just to get them off to a flying start, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. When it's either too late in the season, yep. or like I was saying to you before the show, James, really, it's sort of funny I'm doing these broad beans now because it's nearly time, not quite, mm. but nearly time to start if you want to pre-sprout um, uh, bush beans bush or beans, climbing beans, beans mm. to get them going really quickly, mm. so you can break the the dormancy or the you know break the well, I guess you call it dormancy, and at a time when you couldn't really plant them out into the ground because they wouldn't survive, they wouldn't germinate mm-hmm. because it's too cold in the soil. You can germinate them inside, then pop them outside, perhaps protect them a little bit, mm-hmm. and get them plants going mm. maybe a month earlier than normal. Than and usually would. Get the old mm. um, elusive beans by Christmas kind of thing. <laughs> 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 so I learned that from a very dear old friend of mine, Lance, who from who was finishing off his days in Anglesey, but finally has passed away. So right. learned a lot of things from him, like yeah, like okay. you do from your older gardener friends. Absolutely. And, so yeah, R.I.P. Lance. Hmm. Yeah, excellent. Okay, we have uh, a few callers ringing in. First up, we'll go to Anne, who's in Northcote. Good morning, Anne. Hi, good morning. Thanks for the bean sprouting information. That was really good, lovely to have. I got some say-soil package from you the other from last week. Yes. And we've had two frosty mornings, but I haven't been able to get out to do it. But I, I do have to leave the house soon. Can I do it while it's still frosty? Can I... Um, the say like are they too brittle at the moment? What are, what are you applying it to? What plants? Well, it's just going to everything, vegetables, um, maybe camellias. I've got also some hibiscus, so some hardy leaves and some delicate leaves. Yeah, the look, veggies. You you would be applying it to the to the soil, so yeah, go go for it, really. Yeah, even, even even if there is frost around, the water's going to melt that pretty quick smart once it once it comes out of a watering can. So, yeah, I don't uh, see a problem with well that. Well, it, 
I've got I've got the package that you you've got the hose on. To. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes. I, so you're going to do good? a foliar feed as well, basically. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Too, are they too brittle first up? Do I have to wait for the frost to? Yeah, I'd probably wait Look, until I'd, I'd, Yeah, if mm, you could do it later in the day. Mm. <coughs> but certainly, or, certainly, it's a great idea because it mm. strengthens the the cellular walls of the plant, and it, it definitely um, has been shown that it does help protect your plants against frost mm. damage. But it probably takes. But, I'm not sure how long it takes either. Does it take a few weeks for that effect to build up? Probably? I think it probably. I would. think it would. It's definitely I think not it would. Yeah. No. Yeah. But um, I'd certainly. I'd. I'd wait. To, yes, as I say, till the, mm. we're, we're supposed to have a sunny day today. If you're going to be home a bit later in the day. I'd do mm. it then. Mm. But you have to do it before it starts to get cool again but so you don't cause mould, don't you? Like by 3 o'clock it's starting to cool down and then um, if if they're all wet overnight with, with the spray, they'll get a bit mouldy, won't they? Well, not necessarily. Um, and depending on what plant it is, like with camellias and things like that, they're not going to be too bothered. Mm. Um, um, I mean, if you've got yes, yeah. if you've got a really fleshy leaf mm. that might be a bit vulnerable, maybe avoid that one. Mm. But um, it, it does depend a bit on the plants. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, ideally you would do it sort of midday time yeah. slot mm. where when it would yeah. be well and truly dried off before um, yeah. before you get the next frost coming through. Yep, it is All hard right. when you don't get much sunshine during the day as long as you get things shorter done. days. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I, that's what I was thinking too. The hibiscus—they're sort of tough, but they've got fine leaves. They—they're pretty hardy. I think the yeah. hibiscus would be mm. all right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. That—that's great. Thanks a lot. Okay then. Bye. Bye. And next up we have uh, Jan, who's in Lilydale. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, look, I've got a, a, a citrus gall wasp on my lemon tree, which I have never had before. And does Welcome it attack to the, the uh, kumquats as well? Uh, yeah, well, they basically attack all citrus. That's what I thought. Yes, I'm very fond of my kumquat marmalade, and I don't really want to lose the kumquat tree. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Look, the, the wasp emerges August to October. Yes, well, I'm cutting it off the uh, lemon tree at the moment, and I've yep. never had it here before. Yep, well, just be vigilant. Get, as long as you get it all totally chopped off before yep. um, before the end of July, yeah. um, that would be good. But, uh, again, uh, it's the problem of if neighbours have got trees yeah. and they aren't attentive yeah. to it yep. and they yeah. don't chop off the galls in their yes, tree. Yes, they have. The uh, neighbour next door has got a very sick-looking lemon tree. I don't know what's wrong with it, but right. I guess it might have it as well. Well, I'd, uh, are you on speak speaking terms with mm. them? Oh I'd, yes, yes. Mm. Uh, I'd suggest, um, you know, maybe if you if you offer to give him a hand to chop it off as well. It is one of those things you can dramatically lessen the incidence of it if you can if you can get people that live within about a twenty or thirty meter radius of you pruning at the same time, pruning it out. Mm. You can kind of mm. keep it at bay because the wasps don't travel that far geographically ah. um, after they hatch to They're go very, and reinfect very trees. Yeah. They mainly blow in the wind. Mm. Oh, do they? Yes, can, we haven't had much wind, so. Mm. Uh, and they haven't hatched, so they're um, they're still all you know quite quite solid. Yes. Can, yes. I, can I add a little bit more in? Because, sure. Um, on see Jan's at Lilydale, so it may be exactly as Pam's saying. But I've noticed in the, in the inner suburbs of Melbourne, at least, that the wasps are hatching 
maybe you know two or three times all throughout the year. Yeah. So I've had to. I say to people now to check them every month because then they probably won't. They'll check them every two months at that stage. You know, that's <laughs> you need to check them about every two months. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I learned from watching a Vasily program was that you don't have to. Like I was cutting everything off that had a wall a gall wasp swelling on it but in fact you end up with very little on your tree some at times it can mm. be really That's devastating right. and you know for clients and things as well it was just hopeless and he was pointing out that you get a really sharp pocket knife or your secateurs if you're careful and anywhere where the swelling is not 360 degrees around the branch you just have to slice that off and so you're taking off some of the bark and of okay. course if you do that 360 degrees around the bark then you ring, ring like that but if you take off just just expose the top of where that swelling is if it's only on one side of the branch and you'll get some scarring but you'll expose all the little pinholes there's tiny tiny things i've occasionally done it and seen little black squiggly things inside so they were just about to hatch yeah, and then right, I've gone and okay. um, poked them with the the um, toothpick in my pocket knife. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can do it all through the year. Oh, and the other thing I found really useful, and I know that there's different points of view about this, but I firmly believe if you use the yellow sticky traps, it does help too mm. because the wasps not only get blown by the wind, but they, they generally, if they're not blown, will just move up the branch and, and relay in the more in the softer wood on your tree. Well, it is. At the moment, it's all in the softer wood. Exactly, and yes. that's what it will do again. You'll always miss one. That's the problem. You can yes, look and look and look, but you'll always miss a few swellings and some mm. will hatch, yeah. and that's all it takes to reinfest your tree. So I keep yellow sticky papers in all my trees, but they are quite expensive to buy depending where you're buying them from. And I'd actually recommend you look online at Green Harvest. Oh, right. And they go to their pest pest protection or pest protection page, Mm. and they sell these for aphids, I believe. They're yellow sticky traps, but they work really effectively for citrus gall wasp. And, um, how yeah. many would you need on each tree? Sort of one on each tree or several? Um, several. So a small tree, for instance, a small tree that you just planted or up to a couple of years old, two or three yeah. years old, you'd use one trap. Yeah. So then you'd move up from there. So on a large tree, you might have, uh, you know, a medium-sized tree, you might have four. And on a large tree, you might have six or eight traps. Mm. And mm. that's why I'm suggesting that you buy them online because they are yeah, so much right. cheaper. Because traps can cost between eight to fifteen dollars, depending on how expensive your nursery is yeah. each. Yeah, yeah. And if you're having, you know, six or eight of them on one tree, it's just impossible to manage. Well, and, yes. Yeah. And the other point is that um, if Pamela let me say, I've got a um, a uh, she doesn't mind me saying. I mean, I've, if you look up Karen Sutherland YouTube, that's one of the only videos I've got is mm. about managing citrus gall wasp because I had such trouble managing it for people, and it was such a frequent question that I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put this on a video even if it's not as beautifully done as the gardenettes or something. It's really, you know, it's pretty basic. But it does have the information in there. So you can look at that and, and see what it looks like to cut that, that oh, uh, to expose that area. and you know, Just to, give out that address again, Karen. So Karen Sutherland. Go to YouTube and then search Karen Sutherland. And you'll find that there's not much there, that there's, some, there's one on growing avocados and there's one on citrus mm. gall wasp. Oh, good, thanks. So, yeah. So I, I have really gone into it a lot because I had so many trouble, so much trouble with it. Well, so. it's a 40-year or over-year lemon tree, oh. and the same with the kumquat. And uh, yes. I just put a new uh, lemon tree in, a little one. Okay. Um, yeah, so... Uh, mm. All right. Well, good Thanks luck with much. that. But if you if you pay attention to all those things, and yeah. like James and Pam were saying, talk to your neighbours as well, mm. you, you mm. will manage it. You definitely yeah. will. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Okay, then. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Now, uh, Rhonda's rung in to say she's wrapped her tree fuchsia and salvia in hessian, mm. wanting to know if that's okay or any other recommendations. For frost protection, I'm yeah, imagining. Yeah, I presume, yes. Yeah. How sweet. <laughs> <laughs> They're in their little blankets. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing trees in Japan that we went there at cherry blossom time, so it was just at the end of winter, and a lot of the tree trunks had been wrapped in hessian. I was really intrigued to see that, mm. to protect them from the snow, I guess, or something. I don't know. Okay. I didn't speak Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. Hmm. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but um, yeah, how do you not going to do any harm? How do you no. wrap a tree fuchsia in hessian? That'd be really difficult. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm thinking the same with the salvia. To it's be a lot quite honest, yeah, that's true. <laughs> actually, actually, I've got quite a few salvias in my garden, and and they tend not to be so affected by frost. As actually, my mum plants mm. up in her gardens in um, you know northeast of. Shepparton, and that's really frost, you know, really cold and frosty there. And she has garden full of salvias. So, mm. tree fuchsia, I've seen them get knocked back by not in her garden. She doesn't grow them, but I would think they'd get damaged by frost. But I agree with you, Pam, that salvia should be fine. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that's a worry. In winter, anyway. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And mm. and then you're meant to cut them right back anyway yeah. after flowering. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think they're less of a worry. Yeah, I don't I'd think agree. you'd lo- I don't think you'd lose the whole plant. No, no, no. no. Okay. All right, uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Um, we do have Karen Sutherland and James Beatty in the studio this morning. Um, now, I was talking Radiothon um, early this morning, um, and I'm delighted to say that uh, while uh, people have been listening this morning, we've had uh, another donation come through. Oh, brilliant. Um, which, is, which is wonderful. It, it really is. So, David in Wheeler's Hill, a big thank you to you for um, supporting the show. Uh, $35 donations, so that is excellent. And that, that does remind me that we do still have... Um, Quite a bit of product, and we certainly have a lot of books. Um, things like vouchers are still still available. If uh, if people weren't able to uh, to phone in or come in last Sunday, um, you certainly can still uh, support 3CR and the gardening show. Um, give the office um, a ring during during working hours during the week. And um, have a chat to them, or if you want to come into 21 Smith Street in Collingwood, just up from Victoria Parade, and uh, have a chat to the uh, to the office staff, and they can let you uh, you can have a look through all the books, or uh, let you know what other product is available, uh, because uh, this is our only form of uh, fundraising for the whole year. This is. Uh, uh, it is the Radiothon that supports the uh, the running costs for the station for the next 12 months, and so this is uh, the best way of supporting uh, 3CR in general, but uh, the gardening show in particular to run for the next 12 months. So a huge thank you, as I say, to everyone who did donate last week, but uh, it is still uh, there's still plenty of product there if people would like to uh to, uh, there's make... a lot of generous donations. I can't believe that there's still exactly. things left to give people. It's incredible. Exactly. And we have some amazing books still out there, mm. uh, just to mention the books. So, uh, so do, uh, don't think that, uh, the whole thing stopped just because you were out last Sunday. So, uh, I think do every give gardener us a call. needs, a, every good gardener needs a good library. Mm, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. Google's one thing, but you know, you want a proper library. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, next up we'll go to Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good day, Pam. Are you I'm out and Karen. about? You're on your can mobile. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. 
Um, next Thursday at the general meeting at Burnley in room 10, Burnley Horticultural, and that's 500 Yarra Boulevard, Melway, 45A12. Um, we're having Brian, uh, Dr. Brian May is coming to talk about Japanese, uh, hmm, Chinese herb plants, you know, especially medicinal ones. He's a qualified naturopath. And he does research into Chinese plants, food plants, medicinal plants. Fantastic. And he's coming to talk mm. about those. And But he's selected those that also make lovely statements in the garden. Mm. Great. Things what a great like combination. Coden and the salvia that has the red roots that also has the lovely red flowers. And perilla and mm. um, goji berry and lots of other plants as mm. well. What an interesting Fantastic. Topic. What time, yes, Jill? That should be a nice evening. And, of course, we have supper, a herbal supper, herbal teas, and a jolly lot of friends. So that's 7.30 onwards. Come okay. about 20 past 7 to be seated. Sounds great. And um, if people need to look back on what's on on the Herb Society, they can look on the website, herbsocietyvic.org.au, and my mobile number is on that Okay. Page. On that uh, system. Okay? Excellent. That's great, Jill. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to join us this morning, do give us a call. The number again is 94190155. I've received a uh, text, I don't even know who it is, but um, it's saying it's six degrees here in Kyneton. Ah, <laughs> yes. it's a very frosty-looking vegetable. Yes, <laughs> I assume it's a vegetable. Could be. What do we think it is? Actually, we know from mm. our good friend Pam in Kyneton that they've been hit quite severely with frosts this year. Really? So far, they've had mm. a lot more than what we've had in Melbourne. So, um, yes, I really shouldn't be complaining <laughs> at <laughs> all. They've really had a tough this winter. I was going to say six degrees in Kyneton. That sounds that sounds a bit warm. It sounds warm, really, actually. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. No, sorry. It's minus six. Minus oh, six. that's more, more like, like it. it. Yeah. That does look like minus six. Minus six. That's like ice oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Well, well, we we send our best wishes to everyone up in Kindness who's, who's struggling to maintain a garden we this send winter. Thoughts of flames and yes. um, bits. <laughs> Very warm wishes going your way. <laughs> James, you brought in some plants. Let's have a chat. I did. I brought in a couple of um, a couple of species of Ripsalis that I've been growing for for about oh five are or six both years ripsalis? now. Yeah, they're right. both Ripsalis. Mm. Ripsalis are they're the, very different looking. They're commonly referred to as mistletoe cactuses. Um, they're from South America, um, where they grow as epiphytes in trees and interestingly on power lines and things like that no as way. well. Yeah, I've had a few friends that have visited South America and. Show me these photos. What, the, what is this plant growing on the power lines? Wow. It's ripsalis that's just kind oh, of not the, taken. not the pole. You mean on the line? On the line, on, on the, the line, line itself. Moly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. So these are, these are not on my power lines. Right. They're, in, they're in baskets on <laughs> so my front veranda. Yeah, how do you get them? They just throw them up into the power lines. <laughs> Next to that pair of shoes that always seems to be yeah. <laughs> hanging over the power lines, you know. Um, but look, they grow, they grow really, really easily. Um, I just have them in a cacti, in a cacti mix, um, in a couple of hanging baskets. Um, on a south-facing balcony, so they don't they don't really get any direct sun at all throughout the year, but they are just going gangbusters. They're little rippers, um, so ripsalis is you know it's very very <laughs> like fitting it. really. Um, 
but they're they're really really interesting. The first species that I've that I've brought in is um, uh, Ripsalis clavata, and it's very it's very kind of fine fine stems, um, and when it's quite established in a hanging basket, it's it's got quite a it's got quite a head of hair effect to it, um, but. Never seen, never seen this one flower. They do flower. There are, there are quite a few species, um, and they do flower, but I've never seen this one flower, so I'm not, I'm not and sure. And I was telling you before, I've got a really old one. It's about 30 years old, and yeah. it's about, with, with no care, and it's probably, it's got a head of hair that's about maybe 70 centimetres long. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and, and, and never growing. flowered either. No, yeah, it's just been so. growing in the harshest, darkest parts of yep. the, you, you can know, you can treat somewhere. them really mean, and Amazing. there are there are, we, we we might go away for a couple of weeks at a time or something like that. And these these are hanging baskets under the eaves on the front veranda. We've got a Californian bungalow, um, so they don't get any water for a couple of weeks. They're and I come back and tough, they one of the and, they, and they look garden. really daggy. But yeah. then you give them water, and literally an hour later, they're they're, they're, fine. they're perked up and happy yep. as Larry. Yeah, yep. so they're they're really easy to look after. And the other species I brought in is Ripsalis pentapetra. Um, and this one's got uh, covered in little seeds at the moment. The, the, the seeds surrounded by this, I don't know, botanically it would be an arrel, I guess, um, the little fleshy um, appendage or, or covering to the seed. Um, with you know. that little jewels dotted all over yeah. it. Yeah, it reminds me of midgenberry. Um, yes, the, yes, the, the, I agree. The, the look mm. of it. And yep. um, they, they, don't, they don't really taste of much, um, but when the, when the seed is just starting to form, um, they are much bigger and juicier, and they do have a bit more of a flavour to them, almost like okay. a lychee kind of flavour. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you know, you're not going to go curing anyone's hunger by eating them because they are <laughs> they are quite tiny. It's more yeah. more a curiosity than yeah, anything yeah, else. Fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kids to um, nibble on those. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. But two plants that are really easy to grow. Um, I've got a whole lot of cuttings striking in my greenhouse at the moment. Um. I'm planning to put a couple of big bits of Rio on the back fence that I can then hang 20 or so pots of oh, Ripsalis on to cover the fence. Yes. Um, how big? How big does this? What? What was the? Pen, uh, Pentapetra. Pentapetra. It, right. It's quite. It's quite large. Um, it doesn't have the same. It's. It's not as prolific. You don't get that head of hair effect that you would with Clavada. But it's really wacky looking. It's, they're both really wacky. It's looking. really wacky looking. Maybe we should Google um, those definitely. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, but but int- interesting plants. Easy to grow. Um, mm. y- you know, you could get. Off of this one that I'm holding, um, Pentapetra, you could get you could get a dozen cuttings off of that, and you could get thirty cuttings off of the clavada, and they mm. would they would all strike. And, mm. you know. So, what would you take as a cutting? How how big and? I would usually take at least kind of three nodes, so kind of like that. Yep. Um, and I would I would lay it. In a in a in a little in a little tray like oh, a little laying, community not, tray, not yeah, up. not standing mm. up. Okay, mm. um, yep, yep. And so then, laying it horizontally. Yeah, and then covering mm. it lightly with a bit of propagating mix, and yeah, they'll they'll strike in with about bo- with f- bottom heat five or? or six weeks. Um, I don't I don't have bottom heat in mm. my greenhouse or anything like that. When I built it, I'd originally planned to put a bit of thermal mass in the bottom of it to try mm. and get a bit of a bit of bottom heat happening, um, especially at night time in the winter. But I haven't done that and. You yeah. don't you don't have a little electric pad thing. So no, that, yeah. no. Okay, and no. just keeping growing. it moist. Yeah, and keep the mm. moisture up to it, mm. and it'll strike in about five or six weeks. Yep. And once once they strike, they really they grow really quickly. Um, I'm, mm. I've been surprised by. I thought they'd be much slower 
plants when I bought them. Mm. Um, but I'm already having to prune the clavada back because it's getting it's getting long and a little bit lopsided. Yeah. Okay. Um, and where did you get your original one from? Because I've hardly ever seen one since I bought mine 30 years ago. That's a good question. I think yeah. I got them from Roy Rama Nursery um, in Lara. Ah, of course. Lyle's, Lyle's place. Lyle's yeah. place, yeah. Who's yep. just opened. Have you been to his display gardens that he's opened? No. no. <gasps> Fantastic, you know. He's been tinkering behind the scenes there for a good twenty years, and he's finally opened his display gardens to the public. Mm. It's a gold coin donation to go in and visit. And okay, it's remarkable, absolutely remarkable. It's like walking into Jurassic Park or something like wow. that. Wow! So describe where this is. Please. It's the nursery in Lara that you see as you're heading to Geelong. Just before you get to Geelong, the turn off to Geelong, it's on the right. It's hand on the right side. hand side. Yeah. So you've got to take the Lara exit. And then mm. um, I can't remember the name of the street that it's on. Um, but they do have a website, so all, all of the details will be on there. But fantastic. And he has he has three mature bulbs of the Josephine lily, Prince Vigia Josephine, which is incredibly rare, can take up to 30 years to get to a flowering stage. Um, all of his are at a flowering stage. They're in leaf at the moment, but kind of um, summer, I guess, uh, late spring, summer, they... They put up the most remarkable candelabra-like flower, um, oh. so that's definitely one to keep an eye out for and get your timing right and visit mm. when they're in flower because they're they're quite a rarity and beautiful. Yeah. So I think it's R O R A M A from memory. Rorama. So, something like that. The nursery I, name. I'm, the look, nursery name. I'm pretty confident I've been mispronouncing his nursery name for years because I used to say Roy Rama, <laughs> Roy but I Rama, think it's Rorama. Yeah. Rorama or something like yes. that. Yeah. What does it mean? I wonder. I think it's named after a mountain in South America. Oh, or right. Something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But but the gardens are well worth well worth a visit. Absolutely mm. beautiful. Um, but I got I got the Ripsalis originally from from him. I think yeah. Mm. But he doesn't have them all the time. Only sometimes. Mm. So you'll have yeah. to supply him some. Mm. Well, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> considering how easy they are to grow, I'm surprised you don't see them and, more often. And also, it is surprising because people are very interested in indoor plants again. These uh, make uh, great indoor plants. Yeah, yes. you really couldn't kill these. No, you uh, couldn't. You'd really try. Mm. Um, <laughs> really, it's possible to kill them, but it's surprising uh, they haven't taken off. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So James, you said you said your your baskets are hanging under the veranda, yep. under the eaves. So do they cope equally with shade as with with full sun? What's the situation? I for think them? I think they could probably take morning sun, but they're not not. Not westerly hot. No, I don't think sun. I don't think they'd be very happy doing that. I've never given them it, um, but mine have never had sun. Mine, one plant has never had sun either. Mm. Okay. When it, I mean, they're they're epiphytic things that grow under a forest canopy in a natural yeah, habitat, so, I guess. So but but you know, on a power line, they'd be pretty. They'd be pretty exposed well, I was there as well. That. They'd be very exposed hmm. there. Well, that's maybe maybe why clavadas never flowered is because it, I'm not giving it enough sun. Maybe if I shift it into maybe. a bit of sun, it'll actually hmm. start flowering. So hmm. that might be a little experiment for Rehang the next six the months. Rehang the basket and mm. just keep your eye on it and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Let's go next to uh, Elizabeth, who's in Ashwood. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, all. Uh, I've got two queries. I've been given a curry bush or tree or whatever to mind while they're over, my neighbours are overseas and I'm a bit worried about it in this very cold uh, weather. Do I have to keep it out of the cold or do you... Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And is it all right sort of uh, in the carport or or do I cover it up? It's in a tub, in a tub, in a... In a pot. Pot. Mm. Just in a protected situation mm. would be fine. Yeah. I just do wouldn't I put it... Part? If you had a choice of... 
on a you know on the edge of a veranda where it was getting some light but not exposed to uh, well, uh, where it's uh, I could put it it gets the wind if the wind pops up and I thought that would probably be worse the cold yeah I'd agree. Wind is where the yes, wind cools um, things down. It, it's it? the curry leaf tree we're talking about, is it? Pardon? Is the, cu- the curry tree, leaf curry tree? Leaf? Curry leaf yeah, tree, yes. Yeah. My, mine did... It's a bush. It's a bush. And, and they say it's... Um, well, they seem to say it's suitable for pots. Yep. Do you, is it silver or green, Elizabeth? Uh a greeny colour. Yeah, a green be... more than silver, mm-hmm. yes. But then I've got another note here saying it looks like a rosemary. Oh no! No, okay, no. right. No, if it's if it's that it has little divided leaves, like a little, yes, like an ash yes. tree or something. Yes, mm. that's the curry. That's the leaf. The curry yeah. leaf. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. there is it another plant like yes. that's it's called a curry, curry plant. plant that has yeah. little yellow flowers, but it's not. It's, it's not the oh, curry no. leaf. It's yeah. a different plant. It's, yeah. it's yeah. silvery. Yes, in the curries. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The curry leaf tree I've got at home. It it usually completely defoliates before the end of winter um, and it's out in the open and it's pretty, oh. you know. And, but, and, but they don't like really cold leaf, weather. Really. No, no. I think if you're minding it for a neighbour, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I'd be circumspect <laughs> about be that. You can, be all, you can be mean to yours, James. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I think you should be fine if you've got it undercover there, Elizabeth. Right, thank you. And also, I've been given a... a a, pers- a friend, I'm not very well at the moment, a friend gave me a um, smoke bush to cheer me up. Oh, yes, well, lovely. Lovely. Uh, so is that touch? I've had, had bad luck with a smoke bush a couple of years ago. It didn't last on for me. Oh. Mm. Uh, is there anything in particular you've got to worry about with smoke bushes? Not, not really. No, not they're, really. They're usually really tough and reliable. Mm. I'm surprised you lost one. Mm. Yes, I was too, actually. Not been a bad really- one. My pride was hurt. <laughs> uh, oh, another friend lost two, so I didn't feel. Oh goodness! Not, unless we were over watering or something. Um, but anyway, it is in a little pot at the moment. Now, can I put it in the ground yet, or is it too cold? Or look, if it's happy in the pot, I think I'd be inclined to now to leave it till springtime. Mm. Yeah, well, I think it is. It's deciduous, so it doesn't. You can't really tell if it's shooting or what. Just try and get it in before, like if the sh- if you see buds starting to swell, maybe try and get it in before cause before it starts to grow to really take off. You don't want to be oh, transplanting good. it when so it's just dig got a hole normally and a bit of blood and bone or something. Or oh, oh no, no, you'll burn yeah. the roots. Maybe that's what oh, happened okay. to the last one. <laughs> yes, that's probably what I did with the yeah, last. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't just feed it, it when you first plant it. I would not feed it. I just oh. water it in well mm. and. And um, make sure I, I don't think you would overwater it. You've got to get it established. Mm. So you do need to make sure it stays moist to get it established. But mm. I wouldn't feed it at all. I'd hold right back oh, on the I feed. Blood and bone in the and, hole uh, would have position. Position. Just sunny. Oh yes, yeah, sunny. Any as long as it's sunny, is it? Mm. Yes. Yeah. On the label of this one, and I've lost it, I don't know the actual name of it, but it did have yellow brushes, which I was a bit disappointed about. I like the the pinky brushes on it, you know, the, the smoke, what do they call the things on it, the big... The plumes. Mm. The, yeah, yeah. Plumes well, it's got yellow on it. I've never uh, seen mm. one with yellow brushes. There's, there's, there's like quite be, a variety now. Could be yes, a young lady, maybe. Yeah, there is for everything, yellowy. isn't there? Yes, there is. Mm. There yes. certainly is. Oh, um, because there's also, you, you've got your burgundy-leafed ones yes. as well as your green-leafed mm. ones love, now too. Love mm. the burgundy-leafed. Yeah, they're all lovely, though. If oh, yes, they are. special plants. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, definitely don't put any, any fertiliser in no. the hole. That's a no-no. Bring you... It's a couple of years since I rang. Stephen, 
uh, gave me um, advice about my nature strip, and it's been fantastic. Oh, good. It, it's excellent. If you plant it all like I've told you, you'll have people stopping to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and what have you got right. on your nature strip, Elizabeth? Oh, gazanias and all those coloured uh, daisies and things. All oh, right. Mm. Mass mm. of colour. Yes. When it's all out, and I expect the council to come running up to the door in the old day. <laughs> but uh, I've had it in a couple of years now, so it's not quite as nice as it oh, used to be. Gazanias are very low growing too. Yeah. I don't think that's uh, that's no, the sort well, of thing that would worry the council to me, too much. Yeah, one chappie that I don't think knew much about gardening anyway he was pruning the trees and doing a dreadful job with those, the nature strip trees. And he said, you know, you're against the law with all those things in the nature strip. And I said, oh, really? I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he said, no. I said, oh, no, it's pretty right. They're low growing and people are, oh, he said, you couldn't have been to court and seen a blind person suing Oh, I, thought, oh, I think you're going over the top a little bit. I think they're the same. I, kind, so. I think they're the same kind of people I who are worried no, about cockatoo. Thankful, yeah. We're talking yeah. about before. <laughs> you know, they are. There's some, you get some ones that are a bit funny to what to do, don't you? They don't want to rock the boat, do they? Well, you enjoy your nature strip, Elizabeth. Oh, I am. Yeah. I have been, and Excellent. thanks to Stephen, I'm very happy with it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, well, good thanks luck with the, the curry plant and the smoke bush. Yeah, thanks very much. Okay, good Bye to now. hear from you. Bye. Bye-bye. A.B. Bishop has just messaged me saying that Roy, it's pronounced Ro-Ramer, um, yes. 20 Swan Street, Lara, named after a mountain that forms a border for Brazil, Guyana and Venezuela. And is it R-O-R-A-M-A? Uh, well, uh, well, A-B spelt it phonetically, so I don't know how to answer oh. that question. Oh. Okay. <laughs> what was the address again, sorry? Um, 20 Swan Street, Lara. Sounds <clears throat> definitely worth a visit. Oh, look, it looks amazing just, just from the, Remarkable the place. freeway. My other half, past it. my other half is not much of a gardener and, mm. and I've dragged him along to a lot of nurseries over the years. Um, and he was absolutely blown away by, by Sounds like something that to place. Take my other half yeah, to yeah. He absolutely <laughs> loved it. So you know it's a good nursery. Yeah. Mm, when, a, when a non-gardener walks in and goes, oh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing is that it's actually a nursery, particularly now you're mentioning about the display garden, that children would love to go to visit. Totally. Mm. Because yeah. it's got yeah. all, these, oh, interesting. all these amazing, really interesting mm. plants that are mm. totally unusual, that are, mm. are really full of imagination. Mm. Some of them look like characters in their own right. You <laughs> yeah, know, it's, it's one of those yeah. quirky, quirky mm. places mm. to go to. So um, definitely it'd be worth a visit. Yep. Whimsical, whimsical, humorous yeah. garden by the Yeah, very absolutely. much so. Mm. Yep. I don't think there's enough whimsy in gardens. That's what I was just saying. <laughs> <Quite saying. laughs> We're very serious, aren't we? <laughs> I agree. Excellent. Okay, we are running through until 9.15. If uh, anyone wants to jump on the line... Um, to uh, before we finish, do give us a call. That number is nine four one nine zero one double five. And I'm delighted that I also have um, another donation here from a good oh. listener. Um, this is wonderful how our listeners do support us at this time every year. Kathy in Warrigal has donated a hundred dollars for the gardening oh, show to keep three CR on air. So Kathy, <laughs> a big thank you to you. That is. Excellent. It really is. Um, oh, look, there's a Ripsalis person coming up. Okay. Oh, there we go. go. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's <laughs> go to it. At least I'm to call it now. <laughs> let's go to our next caller. <laughs> okay, we have Marnie, and Marnie's out in Red Hill. Good morning, Marnie. Oh, good morning. 
Um, look, I'm just uh, wanting to put some hanging baskets on my garden shed, but it, they'll be facing south. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never done gut, um, you know, hanging baskets, mm-hmm. so I just want some suggestions, please, for what might survive without sun. Well, definitely the Ripsalis that we were talking about before, um, and, and anything in that genus. Um, just sourcing them might be slightly tricky, mm-hmm. unless you've gone a trip to Lara. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So bit of a drive. If you take all our advice, I reckon <laughs> you, would, you would definitely get it. But also, um, oh, what else could you grow? I was just going to add in zygo cactus. Actually, zygo cactus. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Them. I've yeah. only, actually only just taken them down because they've been on my fence for about I don't know ten or more years, and they've all outgrown their baskets, and the birds have taken all the basket stuff out to make nests, yeah, and they're right. looking really shabby. <laughs> but yeah, the zygos were some of them were just so heavy. They I've got falling off. I've the got fence. them in window boxes scattered mm-hmm. around my house. Yep. One is facing pure south, mm-hmm. and when they're out in flower, mm. they mm. are just mm. magnificent. Mm. They they have no attention from me apart from occasionally watering yep. the, the window box. Yep. Mm. And every year without fail, they come mm. up mm. in these this amazing time of year, Marnie, flowers. By the way. Yeah. Yes. And you've got hot pink, oh. purple, orange. Even you occasionally get an orange one as well. I've seen whites mm. as well. Whites oh, yes. with a little yeah. uh, yes. with a little kind of purple ring okay. around the edge of the, oh, wow. the edge of the petal. Yeah, and they're really, really, really showy when they're in flower. Oh, they're just yes. stunning, mm. really stunning. Incredibly easy to grow as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think they would look amazing on, on uh, the side of a shed. Or, mm. Yes, mm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, thank you very much. Okay, Give so that's a... zygo cactus. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, thank you very much. And they're quite easy to grow from pieces, aren't they? You just yeah, kind of rip absolutely. a bit off and shove it in and, just and chuck it in. Yeah, it done. grows. And yeah. It grows. Mm. So um, all you need is to find a neighbour or someone who's mm. got some and, mm. and you're all set. Mm. Off mm. you go. Mm. I know I, I passed all mine on in the end because I thought, okay, <clears throat> you know, you do something for a while and you think, okay, I've, 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 Oh, I've finished that hanging basket phase now. So <laughs> my fence definitely says yes. The, the fence says yes, I've finished the hanging basket phase. You finished me off. So. And your local bird said thank you as well. Oh, yeah, they've had some well, great nests. The... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of replacing it. Like, right, that's out. So I took it down to a neighbour who wants to create a bit of a tropical feeling garden. So yeah. Yeah. She's, Good she's plan for that. Because some yeah. of those larger ones too, I don't know if you've ever come across those, they're not that great for hanging baskets. The big epiphilums, yeah. They, they look, I, I thought they were still like a cactus, but they're like a, Large one that's about you know just like a version two or three of steroids. inches across. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. And I have to say that over all the years I had them, only the one that was in sun flowered, and I had some other beautiful ones that I got cuttings from people's gardens that had beautiful purple flowers mm. and all these amazing. You know, they're very large, so kind of the night flowering cactus thing. I'm talking yeah, about. similar, similar. <clears> yeah, <throat> but, but I, 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 I thought flowered. they were in the same genus as the zygo cactus as well. I know, but I, no. I could not get. No matter what I did, I could not get them to find. Some of them had really interesting leaves. I ended up giving all of those away as mm. well. I thought, oh, you know, clear out, do something different. Um, but the only one that did flower was in, um, you know, it got some midday and afternoon sun just a little right. bit as the sun went over. And yep. all the other ones were in this same position as the regular zygos. Mm-hmm. The regular zygos all flowered in that very shady situation, interestingly. Mm-hmm. So, hmm, I've got a neighbour across the road and she's got a big, a big, beautiful red epiphyllum cactus that she grows in her front yard, which is north yeah, facing and gets belting well. sun all yeah, day. They, yeah, you know? so I, yeah. I kind of think those. So I think without, they, they probably need a bit of sun to flower. It's very crude. Techno- technical information here. I think the larger, broader leave ones seem to like more sun. More sun. Or they mm. flower if you give them sun. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. 
Jobs to be done. What are we doing in this cold, frosty weather in the garden? <laughs> I'm Hiding and running away from it all? I'm, I'm renovating flower borders, really, because we, we're going to be going away over the time of year that I'd usually be getting stuck right into that and doing a bit of redesigning in my front garden. Trying so to get it done now. Trying mm. to get it done now mm. before we go away. Yeah, mm. So that's, that's what I'm up to. Mm. Mm. Getting ready. Because it is a good time for rethinking your garden and pl- planning for your vegetable garden, but also rethinking what you're going to put in. So I generally plant new things. It may not be the right time of year to plant, but I'm very much a all year round. I just put it in and mm. like it has to survive. So there's an interesting relative of the strawberry grape, so another Vitus lambrusca mm-hmm. variety called Glenora, mm-hmm. which I found not realising until, until I had the plant for a couple of years that I'd got some cuttings from somebody, that they have beautiful red foliage. Mm. So not only are they naturally very disease resistant, but they have beautiful red fo- deciduous foliage. Yeah, right. So I've sorted out a place for one of those. I thought, right, that's going to go, I'm going to train that across my driveway in one of the last spots left to train to say. <laughs> so uh, it's going to go in a really tight spot, pull out a pot and shove it in the ground at the base of a concrete pillar where I put other ones and mm-hmm. not what you'd think a grape would like, but in the past, with my other ones, they're growing fine that way in yeah, really okay. harsh situations. So, yeah. yeah, it's that time for putting new bits and pieces in, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. I'm going to sow a bit of wallaby grass too. Oh, good stuff. I don't know yeah, because I've got a tiny patch. Uh, I've got a tiny sitting area around a little fire pity thing. And Do you know what species it is? <clears throat> the wallaby grass? Yeah. Well, I'm actually going to try and get – because I was reading about this mm. in – the uh, the I've forgotten his name. It'll come to me in a minute. But the man who's been really researching native grasses. So his Ian company. Shivers. Ian Shivers. Thank yep. you, thank you. And his company is called now Native Seeds. Right. So it seems to be. I thought it was called Australian Native Seeds previously. I could be wrong. But mm. when you look at it up now, because I ordered some. Um, Microlina stipoides or weeping grass seed from him to plant at that garden at Yay. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been picking out of my scarf. But the um, the wallaby grass, when I was reading in his book, one of the first things I read was that it doesn't like to grow in a monoculture. And I didn't know this because I'm not an expert on grasslands by yeah, any okay. stretch of the imagination. And apparently it prefers to grow with, um, you know, two or three different species. Different other species. Yeah, it, with, of wallaby grass. So yeah, you'll right. never find apparently one wallaby grass. Yeah, okay. That's what he says anyway. Yeah, right, right. You'll never find one growing by itself. So I'm going to try and probably instead of planting the seed, I'm going to, of that, I'm not sure if I can get seed from various wallaby grasses. Mm. If I can get a bit, I will, to interplant, but mm. I'll probably get some tubes from an indigenous nursery like Bink, yep. Victorian Indigenous Nurseries Co-op. I, I broadcast, um, try that. I broadcast, mm. uh, uh, I was going to say Ostradanthonia, um, uh, Seaspatosa? Sa- no, well, Seaspatosa is quite a tall one, and I wanted one on my nature strip, so I've got, oh, okay. I've got Geniculata. Oh, Geniculata, um, yes, yeah. Which yeah. is now Ritidosperma geniculatum, which Ostradanthonia just sounded oh. so much nicer. Yeah. Um, but I broadcast that over my nature strip when and I where planted did you get it the out. Seed? I think I got it from Ian Shivers. Right, okay, yeah, because yeah, they do, they yeah. do sell online, mm. of course, it's a really good source of that, yep. yes. And yeah. just, just broadcast it over the yes, top and yeah. kind of raked it in, yep. and, Gangbusters, hey, yeah, Fantastic. was really, really good. And how tall does that one get? That one, that one is pretty low to the ground. The foliage isn't going to get more than about oh, fifteen or twenty centimeters tall. So and a nice lawny. Yeah, size. very, very much so. Mm. Um, I, I used it as more of a ground cover to, to choke out the weeds, which it's done amazingly. Oh, it's great. It's worked really, really so well. So, which species is that again? Um, uh, Geniculata. Yeah. yeah. Um, need need wallaby grass <laughs> right. is its yeah, common yeah. name. Mm. Um, but the flowers on it get to about oh, I don't know. 2025 20, high, um, 
but beautiful. And when they're all in flower, the the kind of meadowy effects that you get mm. is oh, just yes. gorgeous, really lovely. And do you let the flowers dry out and then before you cut them so yep. that you can get a few more little self-seeding things? Yep, absolutely. Mm. Um, I recently wrote an article for Gardendrum.com about establishing the the grasses in the nature strip. Um, mm. It's a two-parter and I'm still finishing off the second mm. one at the mm. moment. So mm. if anyone's interested, they can j- jump on and have a look up. at that. Yeah, mm. but mm. there's photos of it on there and you'll see mm. you'll see the empty seed heads of the wallaby grass on mass in late summer there's a photo of it on there oh great um and it's it's you know the the ornamental value of native grasses i think is something that's mm. really mm. unexplored or you know it's not mm. really in the popular gardening conscious no but, no but no. they are they are ornamental for an incredibly long time and i think useful mm. as garden plants so mm. it's funny mm. because looking to the origins of um, ornamental gardening in Australia, which is more from the you know UK and Europe, mm. and yet in those in their gardens and say also in North America, people use a lot of grasses, people ornamental use, grasses, yeah. and they yes. integrate them into their mm. their regular ornamental gardens. Mm. You know, I'm thinking of Erming and Van Sweden or Van Erming in Sweden. I'm getting the names around the wrong way then, <laughs> but they use you know they use a lot of um, designers from North America, mm. and you know a lot of really well known gardeners in and designers in the northern hemisphere use native grasses yeah, and yeah. local species yeah. but we 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 don't seem to have done it yet we never yeah. would, you know people just don't like incorporating mm. native grasses into a regular garden i think one of the big reasons for that <laughs> in funny. australia is that there's so little grassland left um, compared to what there used to be so there's not really many places you can go and you can go and see you know big displays mm. on mass that are in good condition <laughs> but melton botanic gardens is definitely there one of go. them they've yes. got they've got great kind of revegetated grassland areas in 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 their gardens um mm. And there's a couple of other spots around Melbourne as well. Um, but but there's mm. there's a little list at the end of that article if people want to jump online and have a look at it where they can go and see some native I'll go and see. Lands. That's that's great because yeah. people can really get a sense of how they grow. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And it's a different ecology as well. It's kind of when you when you do start gardening with with native grasses, you do you do kind of have to approach it from an ecological perspective rather than a gardening perspective. You you always so. you always you're always approaching it from an ecological perspective, I guess, but you've got to you've got to like your your management um, regimes and things are completely oh, leaving different. Leaving the seeds to leaving yeah, leaving yeah. the seeds to drop, mm, and mm. you know, cutting it back at the right time. Mm, um, mm. You do need to you do need not to get, cutting too low. Not cutting like too that. low yes, as well. Yeah. Um, I really want to set mine on fire one year. It's going to be good. Oh, to see I've what got happens. a really good yeah. video. Actually, I might put. I'll have to put it up on Instagram. I'm setting fire to the powers up at yeah, the great. garden at Yay. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I was working up there with a guy who had been learning about this, so he yep. we did a demo. Yep. Yeah, great. <laughs> we must because you, you mentioned it, um, James. Garden Drum yep. is is a fantastic um, resource to, to yeah. visit to because there are so many wonderful writers from people from all all, all over Australia, all well. around the world, yeah. and the articles all are the world, so really. interesting. Mm. Um, I mean, Stephen writes from a lot of people that our mm. listeners would be familiar with write for it. Yep. And um, there's some truly amazing um So it's like an articles. online version of 3CR. It's, <laughs> <laughs> with varied gardeners. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mm. basically like a website, mm. but it's, it's full of blogs from different, different um, mm. horticulturalists mm. from right around mm. the world. Um, uh, with photos accompanying the articles and it, it a source and Ka- of Catherine, wonderful information. Catherine Stewart, who runs it, she um she just she lets people write whatever they want because she said if people if people can you know 
write on whatever topic they choose. You know, they'll write better and more interesting articles. So yes. she doesn't she doesn't particularly editorialise the the website much at all. It's, no, that's right. It's entirely up to the authors what they what they write and submit. So, yep. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's a, it's a great resource if anyone wants to jump online. And it's just gardendrum dot gardendrum dot com. Yep. Yep. I'll we'll be yeah. checking out your native grass article. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes, please why not? Do. And just out of interest, are you growing more than one species together then? Because of what I've only got the one species of of wallaby grass, mm, mm. and it seems to be all right. Yeah. Um, but I do have I do have two or three other species of poa in there as well. Mm, um, so mm. I don't know why. Mm. You know, it's just something that's mm, stated. Yeah, the I'd like to know. I'd like to know more about that as yeah, well. Yeah, you'd actually. probably understand more what the reason would be mm. than I would as an ecologist. Because I know that I know that uh, I'm only a gardener. Um, I know that a lot of native grasses are very good, kind of. Um, Fungal traps—they're good. They're good for for growing and increasing right. fungal diversity in the soil. So maybe that's what it's to do with. So maybe they, it's, need... they need to share that yeah, kind of thing. Maybe. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's, I'm going to I'm going to read up about that. Might be it might come up in one of your later articles. Yeah. I'll keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> very quickly, Karen, you've brought in some eggshells. I did. Tell the listeners what you're going to do. <clears throat> um, I'm going to crush them up and feed them back to my chickens. So. Um, the point is that you need to crush them up fine enough that they don't recognise them as eggshells so they don't start a bad eggshell pecking habit so they don't start uh, picking right. their good okay. eggs. Yeah. So that's the only thing. And this is to provide more calcium in the <laughs> diet? Yeah, to, 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 so all the things we've been talking about, putting back into the garden, mm-hmm. so it's about putting back into the chickens that you know they're using a lot of calcium to, to produce these eggs. And so you can add calcium to their feed, but instead of, like we're talking about, instead of having... You know, vitamins from the vitamin industry. Mm. Yep. Uh, if you can, as much as possible, save your chicken eggs after you've cooked with them. So all you have to do is rinse them clean with water, otherwise they get very smelly. So mm-hmm. you just rinse them up as soon as you, you're um, cracking them open and let them dry, let them dry and then crush them up in a mortar and pestle. That's yep. the easiest way. Yeah. Okay. okay. We have run out of time for yet another week. Um, a huge thank you to uh, to the team, to James and Karen, and also a very big thank you to Vicky, who's been handling all the calls this morning. Um, we will, of course, be back again next week, uh, 7.30 till 9.15, our usual time slot. Uh, meantime, coming up next is Alternative News, so uh, tune back in again next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.